Welcome to the She Word, conversations that women rarely have but really should. I'm Trudy Kerr and I'm your host. Now, before we get going, I just want to remind you guys, down underneath here somewhere, there is a subscribe button and I'm going to really, really encourage you to hit subscribe. And i tell you why. Because we have some amazing things happening with the She Word, not just this incredible season two, but also we have the Young Women's Edition. We also have Women in Business coming and something very, very special for me. Men. So if you subscribe, you'll be able to hear about it first and before everybody else, just down there, somewhere down there. And also, if you are one of our Patreon subscribers and you've joined us early on this show before anybody else gets to enjoy it, then I want to say a massive thank you. Just by being a Patreon of this show, then you are contributing because 50% of the profits of every single Patreon subscriber goes directly to the Richmond Foundation to support women who need therapy but maybe can't afford it. So thank you so much for you if you're a Patreon subscriber as well. If you're not, go to Patreon, subscribe. So last week we had a brilliantly lively show with three powerhouse women looking at what it is to be a woman. This week we're looking at the theme of diversity. If you look up the dictionary definition of diversity, it will tell you that diversity is the practice or quality of including or involving people from a range of different social ethnic backgrounds of different genders, sexual orientations, or other groups. We already know that through this show that we are diverse women, but we have common elements that hold us all together. And this is what we're going to be looking at through this show, the differences that we have, but those things that bring us together as women. And I want to just tell you now, because we got started a little bit late today recording this show, and you ladies have just spent the whole time, whilst you've been in makeup, yakking away. You've never met each other, have you? No. no. Which I find absolutely amazing, and this is exactly why we're doing this show. So first of all, I'm just going to introduce you, and then I'm going to ask you in a moment to introduce yourself and add a little bit more detail. So, Mackenda, you are a 30-year-old French-born black model. You are absolutely gorgeous. You've worked across Europe and in the Middle East in marketing, film, content creation, but always as a fashion model. Yeah. So always doing that as well. And now you've made Malta your home and you're bringing diversity to the catwalk. I try. Which is amazing. Now, we, I'm going to come back to you in just a second because I want to find a little bit more about, out about your backstory. But thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited. Invitation. Thank you so much. Amy, mm -hmm. you are a marketing manager here in Malta with a heavy and healthy social media following. You use your voice to speak out for the lesbian community in Malta and bringing that community together through the Insta page Peach, which is fantastic. Mm. But you also share your life and adventures with your fiance, Jamie. So we're gonna to come to you in just a second as well. Samantha, thank you also for being with us. You are an amazing activist and have been since your teens. You were rushed to hospital in 2018 for an urgent operation and subsequently diagnosed with Marfan syndrome, which I know nothing about, uh, after suffering a mild stroke, which affected your sight. Yeah, I'm visually impaired from my right eye, basically. And we'll find out a little bit yes. more about that in a second. But 
undeterred by your disability, and I love this part of your story, you were named Malta's new disability commissioner in 2021 and appointed domestic violence commissioner this year. And you're going to be coming back on the season later on to talk about that as well. But first up, ladies, thank you so much for being here. I'm already incredibly inspired. But Mackenda, just tell me a little bit more about, I mean, so Mackenda, you are French. Yes, I am. So you, like me, uh, not from Malta. I know French and English people <laughs> uniting over something because I don't know if you know, but French and English people we don't know, normally yeah. get on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell me a bit about your background and what brought you to Malta as well. Okay, so my background is uh, I came uh, back in 2019 with my ex fiance. I was living in Poland for one year. And uh, the plan was to come to Malta, but we had a little stop in Poland for one year. And then I arrived to Malta. I started working in marketing as well. And uh, here is my journey. Like I got engaged and then I, <laughs> I broke the engagement and I stay in the Highland. And I said, okay, what am I going to do here? So I just continue my career, my career in marketing. I continue as well as a side hustle doing modeling. So I get to know a lot of people in the industry. And I decided to stay freelancing, even though there, were, there is a lot of different agencies in Malta, but I had the chance to work with many of them. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, doing my path in modeling. I have my own dreams. I want to as well inspire people like me who don't know where to start and uh, don't necessarily find representation. So I try to bring awareness and try to, you know, bring to the topic in a funny way, in my own way, start, try to stay authentic about this. And here I am, that's it. I am so looking forward to finding out more about that. And I've just got to say, not only are we both foreigners, but also we have something else in common. Because I also came to Malta with a man. Yeah. <laughs> who left. Oh. I, mean, I hope mine left, but no, he didn't. <laughs> He's still Silly there. <laughs> You see, we're unifying ourselves over just these these common elements. I love it already. Um, coming to you, Amy, give us a bit of backstory for you. Um, okay, so I'm also 30 and I work in marketing. And to be honest, the gen, my journey is, I've always lived in Malta, but I've always been very passionate about um, people being seen and heard. So in this case being gay was helpful for me because I'm like, okay, cool. I, mean, I can really jump on that bandwagon and make them feel <laughs> seen and heard. And for me, I kind of use that funny element as well. I'm all about taking the mic out of each other, out of yourself, first of all, and not take yourself too seriously. And then kind of with that, work towards making a difference, essentially. So that's why I am passionate about marketing and content and that stuff because the stuff I create is very authentic and funny and maybe a bit embarrassing like I told say that I uploaded about my stool test which I probably shouldn't have done but in general for me it's all about kind of making people feel seen and heard and that's what I try to do in my life we are definitely going to go into your stool sample no um, we are not no that's it it has a spoon it has a spoon that's what you need to know <laughs> I happen to have done an advert for the company that does the stool samples. I know all about it. And I know that little spoon. Um, so then coming to you, Samantha, a little bit of a backstory for you as well, because yours is, is quite an extraordinary story. You've always been an activist. Yes, I have been. Um, I've started my activism on gender issues, basically, and women's rights. Um, eventually, also, um, I have a sister who has a disability um, and 
I am an advocate also for the disability sector, have been. Uh, but eventually I also learned that I myself had a disability, which obviously doesn't show. Um, and that's a whole other spectrum um, when you have a disability that doesn't show. Maybe that's a discussion for another day. Um, yeah, so basically it happened in 2018. Um, I was rushed to the emergency. Um, I learned that I had, I d actually I didn't learn. I mean, I was conscious and unconscious coming and going. And uh, I had to do a very urgent surgery, which was a life or death surgery. Um, but miracles happen. And uh, I mean, actually, I think I really had good doctors. And uh, I survived and I wasn't touched, as in I was touched, but um, I came out uh, and I had a very uh, positive kind of reaction to that. So I wanted to start prioritizing, prioritizing myself, my life, um, and even strengthen my activism. Um, a second surgery happened in 2020. It was during COVID. This time it wasn't an emergency operation. So um, I had to fly to the UK, which was during COVID, so very stressful. Um, not a lot of people could fly with me. Um, we had to do quarantine and uh, um, anyway, it was very stressful. Uh, it wasn't the same situation then, but I mean, I'm still standing, you know, I try to advocate, um, especially because Marfan syndrome is a rare condition and there are so many rare conditions. Like when you start listening about the different situations that different people are facing on a day-to-day -day basis, like things we don't even hear of. Um, yeah, but I mean, I've reached out to people from the community uh, internationally. Um, you do get a lot of support, but yes, awareness about it is definitely um, very limited, I would say. <laughs> Again, we're going to come to that because just listening to, to each of you ladies talking, I'm already going, oh, I know, I, I know how that feels for me. And I, I, and I also know about stool samples. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I also, I had a, a horse riding accident and I had epilepsy for, for five years. And I know those, what for me, what it's like to, to be affected by something that not necessarily can be seen. Mm -hmm. And so already around a table of diverse women from three different countries, we're already connecting. And I love yeah. that. So I want to give you some statistics, first of all. Groups formerly seen as minorities may reach majority status by 2045, 48% of Generation Z are either racial or ethnic minorities. LGBTQI plus Pride 2023 survey finds that an average of 9% of adults in 30 countries identified as LGBTQI plus and an estimated 1.3 billion people experience significant disabilities. This represents 16% of the world's population. So one in six of us, which are staggering statistics when we talk about diversity. So I'm just for a second, I just want to get you guys to, for a moment, define your status as you would consider yourself to be diverse i mean not whether it be race whether it be nationality whether it be sexual how do you you in your own words define you being diverse mckenna uh actually i started defining myself as a part of diversity when i started traveling and going out of france 
really. In France, I was more defined as a minority. And abroad, I was more a part of a circle of diversity or things like that. I don't know if it makes sense, but for, ex for example, something that I say usually, it's like in Malta, I f I'm French and in France, I'm black. So the thing is, it's really like, it, it's a different feeling. So thanks to the travel that I started doing, I start to see myself as a woman and I could define myself outside of just my color. And my color is remind to me in the circle of, you know, like modeling, because I'm a part of the Afro, like when you, you, you are filling up a form or something for a casting, it's like, are you Caucasian or are you, uh, or are you Afro, whatever, I forgot how to say, or they say even like tropical or exotic, something right, like this. Right. So it's not something that I go on a daily day, on a day-to-day -day life thinking like, okay, I'm a part of diversity. It's more into modeling that I have to bring it on or when I'm into the marketing circle, like the marketing environment and I have to, um, to be just like, okay, so we're gonna do a campaign or we have to represent something. Do we have colors? Is it colorful? Does it really represent the group or really represent the message that we want to say? But normally it's not something I'm thinking on a daily basis. You know. It was funny that you said that. I don't know about you guys, but as soon as you said in, in Malta I'm French and in France I'm black. Yeah. And the three of us just went, whoa, because <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's, yeah. we'll come back to that. But you also just said something about minorities and, and representation. Yeah. Now, LGBTQI plus is very, very, very key in topics and conversations and, and political and corporate agendas at the moment, particularly as, you know, we have Europride here in, in Malta and so on. So do you, do you consider yourself diverse? Do you, how would you de define yourself? I think similarly in that, in, in, in how Makenda said, in that on a day-to-day -day basis, though I do form part of a minority as such, I don't think of it much. Unless you're put in certain situations where there must be gay representation here, so let's add a gay person. Mm -hmm. Like, it's going to sound r ridiculous, but even in a group of friends, we're 15 girls, for example, and, oh, there's me, the lesbian. And they use me as, not they use me, but it's like, <laughs> oh, look, she's funny and gay. It's, it's this kind of checkbox thing. On a day-to-day -day basis, I don't feel it much, especially in Malta. So maybe we're, I'm luckier here. But there are times when I do feel sort of cut off from society then. But in, in certain situations only. Other than that, on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't wake up and say, oh, I'm, I'm gay today. So I must be part of this minority today. <laughs> you know? But, it, but then, sort of, like, Europe has asked me the same question. How do, you ident like, how do you deal with this identification? It's just as if my, my hair is brown and my eyes are brown. It's the same thing. I'm also gay. So it doesn't really affect me much unless I'm in these certain situations where it's you're the token gay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Samantha, do you ever feel like the token disabled person? Is that something that comes across? No, actually, I really don't. Um, because the token disabled person has to look disabled. Wow. Um, so whenever That's you're really planning a campaign oh. or you want a disabled person, it has to be a wheelchair user, someone so using crutches, true. someone who looks disabled. So um, that then... There's the issue of representation of disabled people who have an invisible disability. And that's another issue uh, on itself, but context really matters. Um, when it comes to persons with disability, and even my own experience, um, 
it does affect you on a daily basis because then it's something related to your health or the social barriers. Like if we're talking about the lack of accessibility, you know, if you are a wheelchair user, then um, I had a, a, a colleague who literally couldn't get out of the house because they were fixing the road. And these are issues that persons with disability deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So it is, yes, completely different. But for me, um, because also my when we define disability, it's more of the social barriers in relation to the um, medical and biological element. In my situation, um, my health is really more of an issue. Um, so I struggle when I have issues with my health more specifically, um, rather than the social element. Mm. And because also I can talk about it or choose not to talk about it, let people know that I have a disability or not. Mm. I mean, I don't hide it, everyone knows. Um, um, but then for me, diversity is even more than that, because being a woman, being a young woman, I'm moving out from that category, but, um, <laughs> and being a woman in, a young woman in leadership, and that's why context matters, because as a young woman in leadership, um, uh, I face different challenges and different experiences just because um, I'm a woman. Because when you're talking to a young man, um, obviously I'm just talking about gender dynamics here, but um, or you're talking to even older women who have more experience and older men who have more experience, then the dynamic is very different between the different groups and when you're talking to another young woman it's like haven <laughs> um in leadership because it's she's really understanding where you're coming from and the challenges that you're experiencing so you're defining younger generations as being more accepting and more open not necessarily as being more accepting i mean generally yes um, wow. because obviously how mentalities have changed over the years. Um, the older generation usually always looks at the younger generation. Like it doesn't matter which generation and at what time, but the older generation, I'm not, I don't want to sound ages because I, I'm not, um, but older generations usually perceive younger people as, um, because younger generation are usually more impulsive, more um, or less experienced in life generally, yes. But most of the older generation have been much of, have done the same um, element of, have taken the same level of risk uh, when they were younger. Different because times change, um, different methods and different activities, but generally, yes. I'm going to ask each of you, because you made me think while you were saying that, I'm going to each ask each of you this question about isolation. Because being part of a diverse community or a, a diversity, and the reason being I'm, I'm talking on this, because you said I can choose to be vocal about my diversity or not. You can choose to do, and that puts you in an advantageous position. But... Still, if you are part of a, a minority or a diverse group, it can be really isolating. And it can be that that feeling of isolation can also be devastating. Have you ever felt like that? You've come, McKenna, you've come to Malta at a time uh, when maybe in Malta we're a little bit more open to diverse uh, 
um, nationalities and, and so on. When I first came 18 years ago, it was not like that. Um, yeah. With all due respect, it was Maltese and British, and that was pretty much, wasn't it? There was pretty much the only people that were here. <clears throat> so I guess for each of you, have you ever felt really isolated? Have you ever felt uh, that you are out there because you're different? Uh, that I am out there because I'm different. Bad words, feel... but you know what I'm uh, saying. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> but that you felt, have you ever felt frustrated or um, feeling alone, feeling isolated because of of your ethnicity or your nationality? Or so it was actually. I I went through different phases. So as before, I was in Poland. I had the contrast coming to Malta during like the end of the summer season. It was like September, October. So I really experienced a lot of diversity. And here what we call diversity is like British, South American, um, like, you know, Asian, or this is what we call diversity. So I was just like, oh, like, it's fresh, it's different, you know. It's like, it was really nice. It was really uh, refreshing. And then I had a different, another phases where I was surrounded by a lot of foreigners from different sides, but I don't like to stay exclusively with French people. So I was just like, okay, where am I? Like, I don't see really some, um, I don't, I want to feel a bit like at home because I missed it because I was already like over a year uh, abroad and my family, all these things. So I find a group of, uh, of friends who are French and African from the African diaspora. So what we call the diaspora is like, you know, you have African, uh, Ivory Coast, Congo, you have like, and the things like, as they are French, in France, it's always related, most of the time, related to the previous colony. So French speaking colony, uh, people who migrate, they are like, when they create group, it's like French speaker group. So it's totally different as Nigerian, for example. So uh, here in Malta, there is a lot of Nigerian and so on, but mm. it's not the same as being with uh, French people from diaspora because the exclusive stay together because they speak French. And it was like a refreshing time for me. So it was the second phase of me feeling like at home, you know. And, uh, and now I feel like I can balance because I'm not really attached to one specific group. I like to really like, I have so many different interests that I cannot stick to one group. So I, I have the chance to be able to kind of choose. And thanks to that, I find my balance. So you kind of turned it around. Yeah. You you turned your your color and your nationality to your advantage because actually you have more people to engage with. But you also mentioned when you came to Malta, you wanted to engage uh, with with Maltese. It's exactly what I did when I came here. I said, I'm not going to just hang out with English people because yeah. there's really no point in being here if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. And I love that. And that you you but you have there must have been a. Um, Hard work, was it not? Finding the communities and, and getting involved with those communities? Uh, it wasn't, for me, like being sociable is so easy. It's not really, it's like, I think it was, a, I had a preparation time about how it is, like how it's going to be for me to speak English because my English uh, evolved with time. But before being in my relationship, I wasn't speaking English at this level. So my previous relationship pushed me to engage more in English and develop this ability to express and articulate my emotions. 
So at the beginning, I was frustrated. I was just like between anger and happiness. <laughs> and then I had just like, I was reading, I was watching film in English. I was just like, and I got ready to come to Malta, find a job. So I just, you know, I was really like checking everything about the life in Malta before coming to Malta. So when I arrived in Malta, I was just like, oh my gosh, I was, I'm ready for this. So that's Listening to you as well. Uh, because you're talking about language there, and I'm I'm a I'm English, so we're we're renowned for being lazy. And I do speak Maltese. <laughs> uh, I speak Maltese not badly, actually. But every time I speak Maltese, a Maltese person will say, "Oh, hello, hello, how So that stops me. Uh, and I do speak so French, true. but I, I've kind of stopped at Le Poulet dans la maison avec le arquebère. That's that's as far <laughs> as I've got. Like I don't know why dans le um, but the the language barrier surely that can be isolating as well. If you have, I mean, that's another layer that I I really am privileged not to have to deal with mm -hmm. because that that language. But again, I, I love you because you've just gone. No, I really decided that I was going to watch English TV, and as I said, there's always a bit of a thing between English and French, right? <laughs> You make it well, up. You're no, it I'm up. teasing. I'm teasing. Honestly, I'm teasing because there really isn't. <laughs> Samantha, look, we're talking about diversity and talking about diversity being um, isolating. Now, you mentioned that you had a disabled sister, but when this happened to you, did you feel supported or did you ever feel isolated? It's absolute truth. Did you ever feel frustrated isolated and i felt very supportive uh, supported sorry and i was very supported um i had previously worked as well in the disability sector um because of my sister and, and my my mother who was also supporting my sister um they had a really good connection with the disability sector even me myself um so i knew who to refer to um I worked in it, I, I was aware um, about the definitions, like the, the theoretical elements and the services provided, so I, I was aware. Um, but really it is isolating, and for me obviously it came as a shock. Um, I thought my first surgery was a one-thing time, um, and it's not going to happen again. It wasn't the case, um, it affected me psychologically, um, not, be, not because... Um, how people are it's not how people are going to perceive me for me it's more um now it's when is, is it going to happen next you know um, there's always this element of anxiety that's surrounding it and you know that if it is going to happen the risks the, the stakes are very high um so yes there is there is an element of i, I spoke about this publicly as well um people with marfan syndrome have a tendency to have uh, more risky pregnancies um, because I have Marfan syndrome and because I had an aortic rupture that makes it like uh, worse, worse um, reality mm. um, because it's basically how the hormones work on the aorta basically. Um, so I've opted not to to become pregnant you know and but people are not also always very supportive of that and when I got to learn about it uh, I was explaining this to you guys as well um, earlier even though I'm a very career-oriented woman um, it hit me really bad yeah. um, so I really can't imagine who how people who are 
uh, oriented towards having children, towards having a family, would react to learning news. Uh, and I became more sensitive to that. But because also of the experiences that um, I've been through, then I can relate to so many other people. And because I talk about it publicly, so many other people come to me and speak to me about their experiences, their isolation, their challenges. Um, what do you do when you're in this situation? How um, how do you move forward from the anxiety, you know, all, all this stress? Um, so yes, there is definitely the, the isolation. And because it is a rare condition, not many people um, have it, you know, um, and you really don't know who to go to because it's, it doesn't show. So you really can't say if someone has it or not. Um, yes, it can be very isolating. But on the bright side, um, I think even just by raising a bit, to putting an effort there to raise awareness, that reduces the isolation. Um, maybe deep down, I don't know, but maybe somewhere deep down, I do it just to address that isolation. Maybe someone would reach out. We, I mean, we're going to talk about the positives of diversity in a second. We're going to come to it in just a moment. But I love what you just said there, that people, because you're outspoken, people who are isolated reach out to you. And you were talking, Mackenda, you were talking about diverse communities being part of diverse communities. So, of course, you're giving out back something as well. And I, I really want to touch on that, the positive aspects. Before we get there, listen, Amy. Mm. <sighs> LGBTQI plus, or let's just say LGBT for this for the time being, is now very very key in people's minds. Mm -hmm. That it's it's really there. People are are responding to it and uh, to to the community and including the community. However, when I first came to Malta, Malta was the second most Catholic country in the world mm -hmm. and there was not even lgbtqi plus on the spectrum and back then of course that's why i referred to it as lgb because that's what it was it was yes. it, it wasn't even even taking into consideration any of the other uh diversities mm -hmm. within that spectrum so i guess my question i'm gonna be really nosy go for it and ask how long have you known that you were lesbian and before this became more socially acceptable than it is, did you feel isolated? Mm -hmm. Did you feel on your own? Uh, so I, I mean, considering kids are coming out so early nowadays, which is easier in a sense, because there's much more representation now than there was then on a global front, not just locally. I came out when I was around, I think I was 18 and I was in a relationship with that guy for three and a half years. So that was a bit oh, shocking, but I, <laughs> Ended that relationship, not even knowing that it was, it was so not talked about that even the thoughts I had as a kid, I just genuinely thought that everyone had these same thoughts. And yet there was wow. a sense of, I shouldn't talk about it. For some reason I had this, this thing in my brain saying, you shouldn't talk about it. There's something wrong here. Although I, and then I kind of thought that maybe it was normal. I, it was a, the isolation was almost self-inflicted because I, part of me knew it wasn't normal. And then I remember everyone freaking out about hot guys at school. And I was kind of going along with the motions of saying, I'm so hot. And just kind of, as, as time goes on, I'm like, okay, okay, this is not normal. And again, there's no one around me, no one at all, not on TV, not on, not in movies, not friends, family, no one 
who understood or even felt the same way or was out or any of any of that. I mean, the only representation I had was Will and Grace. And even then, right. it wasn't clear because it was two gay men like as well. So, and then as time w- went on and I grew up a little bit and I'm a person who tends to not care so much what people think or I try to kind of work towards that. Um, and I sort of started feeling a bit less isolated. I kind of... My family took it very well, most of them. So that was really helpful. Like I had a very, very strong support system of it doesn't make a difference to me, that kind of mentality. Um, but it was isolating for many years. It was isolating. But it again, it was self-inflicted. It was me thinking, I can't possibly talk about this. Assuming that people would take it badly. I could have been wrong, but I... Do you, do you think... It's funny that you mentioned about television, about representation mm. in television, because invariably if you saw a lesbian let's say 15 years ago on television it, it there'd be a butch woman with a short hair oh yeah right? that's another Always. thing oh, that's yeah another yeah thing. yeah right a track driver yeah, the truck driver with the cargo shorts, you know, they're always in cargo shorts. This is another thing of isolation. It's it's a much, it's less dramatic, but it kind of leads up to why we're doing Peach, because there's also isolation within the community itself. Though it comes together as a community, of course, especially with Europride coming up, but there is a sense of that as well within your own community. There are people within the LGBTQI spectrum who don't feel as accepted mm. Um, as everyone else and that in itself is isolating and for me the biggest thing that I'm trying to kind of get over now is with your pride coming up there's a spotlight even more so on the community right and the amount of hate that I'm seeing is baffling considering we are number one in Europe as far as I'm I think we're number one I, I can't I can't take no, it no you're right you're right. you're right but I mean that's even more isolating because I thought that. I stupidly, maybe naively thought that everyone's really coming together as a country, let's say locally, as a country, we're coming together and we're supporting everyone's rights and whatever. And I read one comment of a guy saying he's going to bring a revolver to Pride. And um, I feel like we're just thrown back 10 years, 10, 15, 20 years. So, But but I keep saying this, and we're going to be having a show about this mm. later on in the, in the season, because I keep saying this, Malta has gone from being the second most Catholic country in the world, second only to Fiji, to the most, and it is number one, LGBTQI plus uh, empowered community country in Europe within within seven or eight years. Yes, yes. Exactly that. It it might be the legal rights, but you still have a long way Mm. for people's attitudes to catch up because we've gone from one spectrum to the other in such a short space of time. And that's why I was asking about the isolation and so on, because I'm I'm not entirely sure that the general populace... They've not caught up yet, no. I think. And in, to a certain extent, it's almost as if you don't... Not you don't blame them, but there is a sense of ignorance as well, of, mm, I don't want to know, mm, I don't understand it, so I'm not going to look into it. Which to me isn't an excuse, because it just goes with everything. And if you're not informed about something, you're obviously not going to understand what's going on, so you don't really have... A right, so to speak, to, to talk about it. So for me, it's all about education and understanding the rights and understanding, like for me, pride, it, the amount of times people ask, why do you need pride? Why do you need pride? Why do you need pride? If you look into the history, yes. you'll understand why. Yes. So this is why I get so frustrated. And my friends are constantly saying, don't engage, don't fight back because you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to learn. But for me, that is isolating because you are pushing this community away from the general society. 
And this is what we're trying to do, of trying to just kind of, at the end of the day, base level, we're human beings. Why do you care so much about who I sleep with? I do not care who you sleep with. So ultimately, what difference does it make to you? It's funny, it's so um, emotive. Mm. But then, of course, so is colour and so is disability. We're talking about areas that can be extremely emotive in the context of ignorance. Mm -hmm. If people don't understand, if they don't appreciate, if they don't connect. Uh, I can remember going back to season one when Carly Naldi was on the show uh, from the trans community on a show about gender and sexuality. And Carly and I connected over one thing that she said. And suddenly my eyes, and I'm being really honest, my eyes were open to just how much I had a preconception mm-hmm. of that person's gender or the way that they were. And, and great, I bonded with, I thought it was fantastic. It was, a, it was one of those, and I'm not too old to say it was one of those eye-opening moments for me at 40-something years old that I really was very humbled by. And I do believe that that's why we need to do more of these shows. Coming back to what you were mentioning there about being uh, harassed or, I mean, have you seriously, and I'll be asking the pair of you this question in a second, but have you seriously been bullied or harassed for your diversity? I have it a little bit easier because I look less butch in a sense so um i don't truck driver right not i'm not i'm not truck driver level i saw the kid 16 Mm, you know what i'm saying so but i have witnessed it like firsthand friends of mine who are maybe more sort of butch or male presenting or whatever and they've been beaten to a pulp beaten in front of me what by men a few this is years ago but i remember being in the middle of portugal and my friend was um hitting on a girl and as in getting along with this girl, they were getting yeah, along, yeah, yeah. they were speaking. And a, and a man paused by, a guy, and he, and he basically was threatened by her speaking or connecting with this girl. And passed these like super insulting comments of, you'll never be a man and all this, as if I want to be a man. And he punched her and she, like it was terrible. And they feel like they can because you, you want to be a man? Show me. And that's literally the comments that are coming out of his mouth. So... The harassment then I get, which is arguably not worse than that, but still is very, it's sexualized, very, very sexualized. So number one, being a lesbian is not taken seriously ever. So my relationship is not taken seriously by a lot of people. So it's either you need the right guy or it's a phase or, I mean, I'm 30. This phase is super long. Like, <laughs> it's, it, and it's, that's it. And this is the element that I struggle with personally is that it's a very sexualized thing. Lesbians are hot and men fantasize about lesbians uh-huh. making out. And it's always, always an, an invitation for a threesome constantly. The, it, in terms of harassment, though not physical, in my, in my experience, the verbal is never ending, never ending. Honestly. Seriously. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking for a lot of people. It's not just, I'm no, I'm no one special. It's a case of constant, your relationship takes, it's, I'm engaged. It doesn't get more serious than that. Like it's serious. And it's. I, I'm going to just say, wow. Mm. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm glad that you've educated me today because I didn't realize, I had just assumed that we were in 2023 and that yeah. wasn't going to happen. 
And discrimination, have you ever found yourself discriminated in a workplace or in a social environment? Personally, no. And again, I think it's because I'm female presenting. Because I have had friends who are maybe less female presenting who are... Uh-huh. Because for me, it's it's acceptable. It's acceptable. I'm. It's more digestible to look like me. Because, okay, she's clearly a girl. At least she's a girl. So even, for example... When my nana found out I was gay, she was expecting, she was waiting for it. She told me, oh, you're going to shave your head, Dana. You're going to shave your head and you're going to start dressing like a man. But it's also... <laughs> I, no, like, no, I had a shaved head. I, I, no, I, I know. I was thinking no, of this It's before. super cool. Like, but it's funny because I was thinking, how am I going to be seen when I'm going to cut my hair? I don't want to look like a little boy. Yeah. You know? But I'm, but then you you're look, very female presenting, so it's exactly. different. But no, but I was think, I wasn't thinking yeah, of it of course, unless yeah. because people like the way people see me is not the way I see myself. Yes, you know when I wake up in the morning, I don't see myself the way people see me. I just try, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to endorse myself in the mirror. But it's not like I'm thinking I look like a female, so I can cut my hair. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's, but was there it's a funny. reason? Because I've seen I, I obviously I. I researched everybody I've seen photographs of you with with hair which you look stunningly beautiful I've also shaved my head for for a number of years and and I fully support that um but was there a reason to take that step to to to, to take your hair away it was like different things going on in my head but specifically it was because I, I was about to do a trip to Asia and it was about to be an amazing trip everything was about to you know like we planning and everything. And I was just like, I don't want to struggle with my hair because if I do braids and I go to the water, it will be heavy after. If I wear a wig, my wig will be wet and I will have to go all around with a wet wig. And I was just, I was really thinking of it. I'm telling you, I had like migraine just thinking of it. I was checking haircut, what should I do and so on. And at the same time, I was thinking my modeling career is just like, Something is not taking off the same way because every time I try to fit, I really, I was trying to fit so much like, oh, okay, so nothing is going on right now. Maybe I cannot have casting because I have my braid and they prefer somebody with straight hair. Oh, what about if I do this and do that? And I was, it was so confusing for me, even in the dating scene, it was like, Okay, uh, if I have a wig and the guy tried to touch my neck, I will have to tell you, don't go that don't way. <laughs> and then for the bread, it's like I'm sleeping and it's super heavy. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a struggle for me. Hair was a struggle. It was like every time, okay, budgeting for next month. What am I going to do this week? Okay, what am I going to do? The color, the stuff. Now I just wake up and literally go out when I want to do something. Yeah. It's super same. It's yeah. like a relief. And then on top of it, just before I cut my hair, uh, I'm active on social media. So I just, I start to make like a little story saying like, oh, I really like this girl. She's bold. She's beautiful. She's bold. She's beautiful. What if I cut my hair? And I was so surprised because I had so much response from men saying to me, oh, you will look fine anyway. And I was just like, that's so funny because I was really thinking I will... I will go out of your spectrum of interest <laughs> and I will be just like floating around, just like in peace. You know? And actually I dissociate myself from this need of male acceptation. It was really like male acceptation. I really like put it away. And now I'm just like, I have bo- like when I'm in a space, I really see it. It's so shocking for me because it's still ongoing process, you know, of understanding that when I go to people, oh, I don't have hair. Sorry, you didn't know me like that. <laughs> really, it's, it's so funny. 
So when I'm in a space, I really see the way men are looking at me. It's like, wow, it's really like, wow, we just see you. Like, because I'm, now I'm working in an event venue and so many men come to me, so many women come to me, just like, you look so gorgeous, yeah. you're so beautiful. It's like being something so different mm. that you are obviously visible. Ooh, and that's a big statement mm. in itself because you've yeah. not just embraced your diversity, you've taken it to a whole new level by saying, you know what, as you said, people see you and they they respect you and they they embrace you even more because you've made a bold choice. Mm. And I, when I started following you, I was like, dang, <laughs> this woman, she's beautiful, but she's a tiny bit too strong for me. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to have her on the show. And actually you're the gorgeous, cutest, little, wonderful most person at, in the world. But you do come across with this very, very bold strength because you've taken the choice to take your hair off and people have to accept you mm. for who you are and not to, to look at anything else. Do you ever get harassed or bullied or discriminated? I don't think so. Like, you know, I come from France and France is known to be diverse and cosmopolitan, but uh, the racism is really strong there. Uh, there is like an untold type of discrimination that made minority having like, you know, like glass ceiling where you will not have certain position. You will not be able to to be seen in a certain way with a certain respect, even though you can work for it all your life. So going abroad really taught me to be able to be and to become who I wanted. And I say it so much, you know, to my siblings who are still in France and so on. I say, go abroad. You deserve to see yourself as something else than just what friends want you to be. And it's, it's so, it's sad for me, but I'm happy that I did it because it's my journey and whoever wants to take its own journey, they will have to go over it and discover that we are our own limitation because by staying in France, you just see yourself the way friends want to see you. And when you start traveling, you're just like, whoa, like they treat you as French person no matter the color of your skin abroad, but you have to go abroad and experience it abroad to be able to see it. And so, that yeah. comes back to what you said, mm. that in Malta you're French mm -hmm. and in France you're black. Yeah. And I, I, I'm never going to be able to forget that because it's really hit home with me and, you know, we're both not Maltese and we're in this country and we're guests in this country, but we've made it our home. And I still find that I still find that I am treated here in Malta probably with more respect than I would be in the UK. How come? Because I mean, tell me, you are just a part of like the most classic, like, you know, like classic group. So how, how did you experience it? I, I think because no one ever asks me things on the internet. Because here, I've chosen to be here. I've chosen to be in Malta. I've chosen to live in parts of Malta that English people didn't really go to, uh, whether it be in the south, whether it be in, in Gargur back, you know, 15 years ago. Gargoo was just this little tiny village where you had to speak Maltese and you had to make the effort. Oh, yeah. And because that of that, I, th I feel like um, 
my, my Maltese friends and the Maltese community saw that I was making an effort and respected me for making the effort to be integrated into Malta. And I wanted that more than anything else. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, as you said, back in the UK, I might be discriminated against for being a woman or I might be discriminated against for, I don't know, having a, a disability or, or whatever, it, whatever it is or my age or whatever. But here, that doesn't count. I'm seen more for who I am as a complete person, I, I believe. Yeah. And because you have to also, as a foreigner, you have to work. If you really want to make your way, you have to yeah. really, really work. Absolutely. Hmm. <laughs> But then if I can come Absolutely. to that. Um, you're not just accepted for who you are. You have to work. Because if you don't work to be integrated, if you're not seen, at least, as doing the effort, then maybe you're not... Um, very much accepted and mm -hmm. possibly I mean obviously you have your own experiences but from what I see and the perceptions of certain Maltese people um, you really have to do the effort you have to speak the language you know you're not accepted um, just at face value of being who you are and coming in Malta and taking up jobs and and being here it's just taking up space you know it's mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm talking because I think I hear too many hurtful comments towards um, foreign people in Malta, especially foreign people who are actually working here, mm -hmm. are, taking, are yeah, making true. our economy true. work, yeah, that's you know. Um, yeah, I just wanted to add that. No, agreed. Yeah, because the, yeah, sorry, the isolation, actually, just to answer your question, I felt it because when working in the working environment... I really experience it more in working environment. When you are a foreigner and Maltese start to have a conversation mm -hmm. and you are a part of the workplace of the company and everything, but they still uh, choose to have certain conversation in which you might be involved, but in Maltese. Yes. And it's super frustrating. It must it's be. Super but I feel like this happens everywhere. I don't know if it's a Maltese thing. Like just a stupid example, I went to Spain and the fact that I couldn't speak Spanish They just stopped answering me. They didn't even bother trying to understand what I was trying to the tell them. So I don't like, know if it's a globe or a... The thing is, like, with Maltese, you have the ability to speak three languages. Yes, no, we're choosing so to speak Maltese. Really, like, it will not be the same as in another country mm, yes, where okay, this true. is really all they know how to, to mm -hmm. talk, you know. In Malta, you really have options. And I really felt bad, not because of just speaking another language, but specifically choosing... To, it's a choice. Like it's to, a choice. to isolate me by speaking Maltese, even though they speak perfectly English. Yes, yes, you're right. Because it's like, it's so easy to say no. Uh, it's because we want to say certain things. Guy, you are literated, you are well articulated in English, you know, at a level where maybe I'm not even yet. So try to make an effort because it's, mm -hmm. it's super important, especially in the working place. It's out of respecting. It's yeah. More, it's more and I, I had it mainly in Maltese company, and I know that for Rainer, they often say, I don't want to work with Maltese because there will be a moment when it will happen and I don't want to go through this. It's, listen, it's happened to me over and over again over the last 18 years since I've been here. But what I understood in a recent experience 
is, and I kept saying this over and over again, to the point where I said, I am not coming to these meetings anymore, because if one of you speaks Maltese, I understand you. If you are all speaking Maltese over each other, I do not stand a hope in hell of understanding what you're saying, because you're, it becomes too much for me to process. But not just to justify that, um, I had a colleague who's English speaking as well. She understood Maltese in the same way that you do. Um, but I was in situations where there were meeting, meetings and I was very aware of that. Um, sometimes like conversations just happen and then we're changing to Maltese. But sometimes just to make sure that I have my voice heard as well, I literally have to choose to speak in Maltese. Yep putting aside the fact that my colleague doesn't understand or yeah. understands Maltese, not in a group conversation where us Maltese, we're just shouting over each other <laughs> and because we really do that. Often. Um, you must think we're always angry at each other. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. That's something. And I literally have to put that aside and say, okay, but I have to make this point. And I have but, to do but this is this is exactly, and I was coming to that and I was saying, you know, what I understood was that it was not meant intentionally to isolate me what I felt was isolation I didn't understand what was being said because everyone was I was trying so hard everyone was talking over Mm -hmm. each other but I still don't understand what's being said but it wasn't intentional it wasn't like okay let's have a conversation to exclude Trudy it was we are in Malta (laughs) and we are a group of very diverse individuals and we have one thing in common and that's Maltese because some people spoke English better than others and it was their default. Mm -hmm. I am the visitor. Yeah. And But what what you made me think of is in that moment how isolated and ignorant I felt because you because it's it's real it's true it's if you can't communicate and you know that they the individuals can speak english but uh, for whatever reason or not it's not a case of respect i totally utterly respect it but the the feeling that i had inside was wow i feel very inadequate i feel mm. small second class almost transparent like yes you know that's yes, yes. really the feeling we're talking about discrimination have you ever experienced that, Samantha, with your disability? I mean, you spoke out and, and, and you, you've been recognized as a spokesperson, but have you ever been discriminated? Um, I have. But I don't feel I have been discriminated by non-disabled persons, but rather by disabled persons themselves. Um, uh, what? Yeah. Right, then we're looking at another, like, <laughs> it's com- yes. in community thing. Um, it, it did happen. Um, uh, I'm just thinking how much I should say about this. <laughs> um, but yes, it was a very particular situation. Um, uh, there was a discussion going on. Um, there was a discussion going on about a very sensitive topic, um, a topic that affects me personally. Um, if I do mention the topic, then I'm going to literally be talking about the situation which was in a particular context so I really can't no that's fine don't um, worry but yes it was uh, uh, a particular topic um, uh, a particular conversation something which affects me but maybe not the individual persons with disability that were around the same table and I literally felt invisible 
invisible and invalidated, which is, I think, even worse than, well, both are horrible. Um, uh, yeah, because I had an opinion which was different than the rest of the people there. Um, yeah, it was... I and it's obviously feel. still very emotional for you. And yes. we're not going to press it. Yes, but, it is. But, yeah. but it's obviously something that is still very present for you. It is very... Um, because generally I have experienced harassment and, you know, issues um, related to gender um, issues. I think that has definitely been a greater um, part of my identity when it comes to discrimination and... Um, harassment and abuse but when it comes to disability because I have I mean I had Marfan syndrome it's a genetic condition so I had it it just didn't affect me until I was 24 years old um, uh, so I learned to live my life without being aware of my condition thank God to a certain extent um, but because my condition is invisible, because I still go about my day-to-day -day, um, like non-disabled people do, um, I had to face this, this particular situation where um, people decided that I'm taking a particular position, a particular perception, not because of my experience, not because I really had that opinion, but to support someone else when, I mean... I, I have my opinions, you know. No, absolutely. And but Amy just said, you would kind of, whoa, was like me, because you're being attacked from your own community, mm. for your own diversity community. But, and Sorry yeah. about this, but it really does happen, because we also had a, a research um, about the LGBTIQ plus community, and the intersectionality between being disabled and being part of the LGBTIQ plus community as well. And people with disability who also identify as gay, lesbian, trans, they really fit nowhere. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like, yes, because the LGBTIQ plus community is not accessible. Um, there are certain ways you have to look or, you know, things that you have to do. Um, as a person with disability, a lot of people see you as an asexual person. Um, so you really even it's people are really questioning whether you should be in relationships, whether you should ha have sex. What? So imagine going out and saying, I want to have sex. That's already a, <gasps> then you're saying, but I want to have sex with another woman. Then it's a, mm. you know, it's, it's insane. I've never yeah. thought about it like that. Sorry, let me come back. So because we both looked at each other in the same way. So the di disabled community and members of the disabled community would be considered that they don't have sexual needs because they're disabled. I mean, now that you mention it, not, it kind of, uh, I can understand uh -huh. how that could happen. No, not necessarily the persons with disability would think they don't have sexual needs. It's the people who are supposed to be supporting them. The perception. Them. That's yes. what I said, the perception. Yes. yes, yes. And of course, you know, we all do. We are all human. We all have exactly. those urges and those needs and those, those wants. Exactly. I hadn't even thought of that. No, I never thought of it either. That's mm -hmm. insane. And there's another element to it, like um, especially when it comes to mental health. Um, some people are just more hypersexual than others. Mm. Um, if you have mental health issues and you are um, hypersexual, then that relates to um, your mental health, as in people perceive it as being an it issue with your mental health. If you're hypersexual, it's 
Yes, and you have mental health be issues. A... It's attributed to your mental health situation. As opposed to just being of, a human uh, con- just. Okay. Mm, wow. Well, lot. listen. That's, we, that is a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that gives us the challenge. If, 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 for instance, humans are highly tribal and we stick to what we know, we stick to the people that we associate with, mm-hmm. how do we then as women within diverse groups, how do we educate? How, I hate that word educate <clears throat> because it's like we need to teach everybody else how to be and I don't believe that is at all. Just by sitting around this table. That's education. Yeah. That's education. I know, it's having but, a conversation. But you say educate and people are like, Ugh. But that's the thing. You have to make it not so serious and formal. Like yeah. to me, that's a trick. So for me, it's it sounds stupid, but it's using social media. It's showing my life with Jamie um, and normalizing it just normalizing it and making it funny and showing that my life and my relationship with a woman is pretty similar to yours just because you're straight and I'm gay. It makes no real difference. So for me, and I think it just covers all issues, edu- education in the commas can just be awareness, having a conversation, sitting down, sure. having a drink and being like, like this, having this conversation. I would never even yeah. think of these things. And yet she's not schooling me, Yeah. but I am going to go home today and say, I've learned something. I've really learned something or at least opened my eyes to something I didn't even know was a thing or was, you know, so that's enough. That's, I'm taught. That's it. Can I, uh, can I challenge you, Mm. Amy, right now? Because (laughs) let's say that there is, um, let's say that there is an elderly couple in Rabat Mm. who maybe don't, understand the lgbtqi plus community who euro pride is going to mean nothing to them because they're like that's happening in valletta and i don't really care and it's not going to touch me Mm -hmm. do they matter to you does it matter to them that they understand who you are this is my constant battle and if they do matter how do you reach them and it's this applies to to both you ladies as well so i'm coming to you in a second <laughs> because same people in the robot let's all go around the house with tea cakes and you know scones and things and educate them but yes the same but but if it's if we're talking about that because we're sitting around a table having a a really great discussion, but maybe that couple in in Rabat, that ugly no, couple in Rabat, are not listening to this yeah. podcast. She's scared of Rabat. Oh, my dad's girlfriend's from oh, Rabat, so can we just change the village? Um, uh, okay, in Gargur. Um, my my, un- my uncle's from Gargur. You just hit all the family. We came with Zuri. We're safe. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! It's a tough one. This it's a constant internal battle for me because I feel the need to vocalize or at least I'm, I'm a person who thinks if you sit down at a table you can have and you have a conversation you're both open to listening to each other's opinions and mm-hmm. perceptions you can get anywhere in life again I'm very naive I think that things can be sorted and for me it's about being open to listening and understanding where these people come from and what they think and their opinions I'm not gonna lie I'd probably give up on the elderly couple in Rabat because there's so many times I try and vocalize this and have a conversation and I can stay calm, no problem, and hear all the hate and hear all why they think we should be in hell and stuff. It's fine. But that to me shows that you're not open to listening. And once you've shut that door, I can't pry it open, no matter how much I try. So who do you care about? If it's not the, this poor couple in Rabat, bless them. I'm sending Zuri. you around. Zuri. Zuri. <laughs> Zuri. Zuri. Okay. Um, if it's not this poor couple in Zuri. I do care, but 
I only care if you care enough, to, if you care as the elderly couple, right? If you care enough to open your eyes and just listen and understand, we can agree to disagree. We can agree to say, listen, this is your life. I understand. I don't necessarily agree with it, but as you were, that's fine. That's already being open to it. But the majority of the time, it's not even that. It's just shoving it down my throat how I'm wrong and I chose it. And I mean, who the hell would choose to be gay? And all these, and I feel like there's no room. There's just no room. So when there's no room, how are we supposed to? I chose a, a you know, this elderly couple in Zurich, bless mm. them. Mary and Josie, we'll call them. Um, or Biblican. <laughs> <laughs> but in actual fact, I suspect that's more of, and it's not specific to, to Malta, but I would say that's more of the general population just by saying that humans are tribal, we stick to what we know. Yes. So diversity presents a challenge to a the largest percentage yeah. of population everywhere. So how as a diverse woman, as a woman of a diverse community, how, how do you reach them? Because whilst we've got Mary and Joseph in Zurich, that might not just be Mary and Joseph in Zurich. It might mm -hmm. be the, the guy who's, who's serving you in the shop. It might be the woman who is in the restaurant delivering your food. It might be, the woman that you in the the bank manager, or it might be a CEO that you need to. I mean, how do you break down these barriers that people put up? But that's why I feel like I'm doing my part in that sense. So even for example, I'm I'm hoping eventually we get to a point where people don't even need to come out. So, and that's kind of how I live my life. So for me, even if I bring it up in conversation, I'll mention how my girlfriend Jamie. I won't make it a big deal or anything, oh, but it's just a normalization of things where it's just people have to whether it's the old couple or whether it's my uncle or whomever they have to accept it because I'm putting it plain and simple like uh Jamie and I mentioned her my girlfriend did this they're not gonna have time to be like oh, but, oh she's gay they they just have to go into conversation because it, it's the social cue is to be like ah okay cool my husband did this yesterday you have to so by I do my part in that sense of I force you to put it in conversation and make it normal. I, I dare you to, when I say, Jamie, my girlfriend, you go, Emily, you're gay. I dare you to do that. They, people don't. The social cue, they pick up on it and they'll just act like it's normal, even if they don't think so. But do you have to emphasize that Jamie is your girlfriend? Yes. Because Jamie is both Because Jamie, <laughs> Jamie is a unisex name. So, exactly. yes. But even with photos and stuff, I make it very clear. Like, I'm very active on social media in terms of it just being... Normal, it's normal. It's so whether the old couple is seeing my story, my Instagram story in Zuri, which they're probably not. But it's so, I'm so open with it that I can't reach everyone, but the aim is that. And that's why we do Peach. It's for the same reason. It's just normalizing it. And eventually people are just going to have to suck it up and be like, okay, cool, I don't. Mm -hmm. My concern is when Mary and Joseph and Zoria are actually the grandparents of or just the yes. parents of someone who's gay. Or My hope child. is in just the future generations, just yes. like our generation is way more accepting that you'll find fewer. Yes. Okay, but that's that's where my hope lies because my nana died hating it about me and we were best friends. I mean, ultimately, she didn't speak to me for six months when she found out. And for me, it was huge. We were extremely wow. we, we were extremely close and and I had it easy by comparison to other people who came out and had it really my parents were super accepting but my nana my best friend 
if you speak to me for six months, if you speak up the phone, stop visiting, stop anything. And that hit me so hard that I said, okay, shall I hide it? Shall I not? Ultimately, I decided, listen, she's either going to love me for me or not. And definitely. She came around. I mean, she still hated it. And every wedding, she'd look at the, the other side, like the groom's when I'd be like, the hell with It's really hot. I'm like, no. And there'll be Jamie next to me. But it's, it's just a case of, again, she was the most extreme, the most, she who thought that gay people should live on an island alone. But the thing is, like, understand as well her background. She was, exactly. you know, it's like you, the time that you became who you are, it was okay around, like, before you're 15, something like this. So imagine her time being, like, coming through, like, uh, being a baby to a teenage and having all of the bad, and bad information about gay people. She grew up like this, and then she goes through life, she had kids, and you tell her the information well, she heard senior. 30 years before from an advertising that was saying gay people have to go left and just like other people to go, you know? And true. then she just stick to it. It's like kind of a trauma, but from information. It's like a traumatizing information that she just stick to it, you know? Yes. And I really yes. think from, sorry. No, from I'm, the, I'm just agreeing yeah. with you. I think what you've said is really profound. So maybe we should be the, a bit forgiving. I mean, maybe. from the, like, every time I approach it, it's like, even the way you were asking, you were maybe coming to, to me after saying, like, how do you make people accept? I mean, honestly, I just smile. Smiling is my thing. So <laughs> when people see me, they don't see my color. They just see the energy of it, of, of my smile, of what I bring to the table. So this is why I would say when people have an opinion and they come with a background, you have to understand that they come a long way that you don't even know what happened yes. before. You don't even know... Like I know, this but it's time, very hard it was, to look past it and but say... But the thing is, like, as much as you want her to accept you, yeah. accept her with all of the things she never had the chance to talk with her mm -hmm. parents, all of the things yeah. that, you know, she just left this world without having to question her own sexuality, maybe, and you just brought something on the table, like uh, uncooked and steak. It's just like, do it. something yes. with this, you know? No, no, you're right. And a lot of people who, when we were saying, like, a lot of people who have anger about it or hate about the topic, there is a big part of ignorance plus their own trauma, plus their own existence that they don't question and they just have you telling them, you should be this or you I should... Know, but then at what point do... Like, we, we make... Ex you're right, but we make excuses, in a sense, for these people because everyone has trauma, everyone has a past, everyone has... Because but then the, what does that mean for people like me and you, for example? The thing is, like, look, you have an audience, I have another one, but look, for example... Um, look, I'm black and I just brought a lot of topic to like questioning and I just like tell to people, you know, this is how I live or this is how I feel about this information now that, now that it's going out and so on. And my audience is like honestly exclusively white. So I do education on a daily basis okay. and I can never assume like everybody loves this and that. It's like I have people coming to me say, oh, what is this music? Oh, what is this thing? Oh, how does it mean? Like, how does it feel to do? And so many people are just ignorant, but I cannot treat them with just like. But they approach it with respect. It's different. Like if. They approach it with, Even like, honestly, curiosity. Yeah, they're it's walking on eggs. Even with me, because I have, like, a strong energy, like you, you were just like, oh. <laughs> like, they walk on, egg and, on eggs and they come to me and they just say something a little bit. So every time I try to bring more engagement and conversation and tell to people, like, I'm human, you can come to me and yeah. tell me things and so on. But understand that people, they see you able to express yourself about a topic that much hot. 
And sometimes they just they're just lost about how to react, how to respond, how to become like you. Because when people are angry, they're not always angry. They're envious, like they're envious, no, envying, envious. Ah, <laughs> envious, envious, envious. Yeah, yeah. envious. Sorry. So oh, there is a lot to of, be so open. Like I'm so, in a yes, we're in a privileged position that we can yeah. be. So but there open is a big it. spectrum of understanding of what no, people no, are no. going through when they come to you with a certain what you like know who's really approach. In a privileged position? people who are not discriminated against mm -hmm. because they are not part of another minority yes. group. So the fact that we have to explain to people like our life circumstances, the fact that we're talking here about personal stuff, very personal stuff, what we're Openly. talking about. Mm -hmm. And we have to do that to educate people. That is, I don't see that as privileged. I feel it's a big responsibility and I feel like yes. we have this responsibility to Definitely. do it for other... Sorry, you said that it's a privilege or it's not a privilege? It's not a privilege. Because no, I, I think we're in a privileged position in terms of being able to reach people... Oh, I think it's a privilege, yeah. In this sense. But it's not a privilege at the same time. That's true. Exactly. This because we, we worked for it. Exactly. We worked for it. it. It didn't come to us like, oh, we are able to talk about it. Because at the end of the day, we're going to think, oh, what if my ex-boyfriend see this thing? Oh, what is my, oh, yeah, if no, my boss see this thing? Care, yeah. Kind of. Exactly. So we have the privilege to be able to overcome those thoughts in order to come here. But we work for it. So at the end, it's not something that came to us as a privilege of just being born in like, a rich exactly. family. More privileged than the people that we're trying to represent. Yes, in a sense, not yes, the people yes. who are discriminating. But then That's I more, agree with you. More courage. It's uh -huh. like courage. I think the word is courage mm -hmm. more than privilege. I'm, yes, I'm, I think so. There's something that's consistent with all three of you absolutely amazing ladies, and that, that is that you are unapologetic for who you are mm -hmm. and your diversity. And I love, Mekenda, I love your attitude of, I'm just going to keep smiling because <laughs> I got a big smile and they're just going to have to accept that. But you're unapologetic about who you are and you're unapologetic and you shouldn't mm. apologize mm. and you shouldn't apologize. And I think that is, I think that is really important that if you are of a diversity, you shouldn't have to apologize. And I, I want to close. I know. Close. Mm. I know. No, wait, but should you have, can I just ask you this? Yeah. Or ask the table yeah, yeah, this? Yeah. The table. <laughs> the table. So Yo, you team. shouldn't have to apologize, right? We say we're in agreement about that. We shouldn't apologize for who we are. Mm -hmm. But should we constantly have to justify or explain? That's what I struggle with. But this with. is what I was picking up with, is that you're unapologetic about yourself and your diversity. But then does that mean I have the responsibility to... To be. You have to, to be. To be, yes. That's but enough. Is it? That's your statement. And be. then what happens just... to people who are giving you the hate and stuff? Is it my responsibility to just close an no. eye and be like, mm? or do I engage and No, you don't have to engage with but, everyone. But you, but, you know, you mentioned something that really struck me. I, when you were talking about people and people's change and people's attitudes, I thought to myself, you know what? It was only 60 years ago in the UK, in the UK, where gay men, not even 60 years, where gay men were chemically castrated. So we are talking about a huge change mm -hmm. in a very short period of time. Oh. And then you look at Malta, I'm going to keep saying this, second most Catholic country in the world, yeah. next to Fiji, to the most, and you you hit the nail on the head when I said it before, legally and rights-wise, the most LGBTQI plus liberated country in Europe. But that leaves an awful lot of room for, for people to, to pick up. And diversity with regards to 
um, ethnic backgrounds and color is also incredibly new to Malta. And your way of winning people mm -hmm. over with a smile. That's right. <laughs> but you know what? I think that's a huge lesson to us all. Be unapologetic, mm -hmm. but also be somewhat forgiving. And I'm, you know, I, you broke my heart when you talked about your... I shouldn't your give up on the... Uh, no, I thought you were going to say I shouldn't give up on the couple in Zurich. No, no please no, don't. No, I mean, no. I, I want to like, see you in Zurich with, with no, Mary I and Joseph. It's true. It's true. Try to find another approach it's true. and just be, just be. It will be enough. Because like the effort and the energy you are putting into trying to change people's mind is like enormous. Like it goes nowhere then if they're yeah, not open to it. Just use your energy in like just to help people who are listening to you, mm -hmm. you know, to your real audience, to your supporting audience, you know, because they want you full, you know. And if you are giving space for the little 10% of we don't know what's going on in the gay world and what is it about, you are just like you are losing the 10% of energy you could have used into something else, you know. Mm. So, yeah. I'm going to ask for, because <laughs> we are closing, I'm going to ask for <laughs> Sorry. one sentence from each of you to summarize the hope that you see for women to understand diversity and to, and maybe it's Mary and Joseph in Zurich. <laughs> Bless them. We're going to front them down and take them cookies. Um, but just one sentence that you would wish hope on other women to understand your diversity. I'm going to start with you, Samantha, because you've been quite quiet. Um, I think ultimately it's about understanding the different elements of one's identity to, um, and recognize that we are not just women, black, gay, or disabled. It's just a whole lot of intersectionality, a whole lot of spectrum, um, uh, and we really just need to be open to understanding each other. Um, whether we're women or not, to be fair, um, everyone, even Mary and Joseph, should be open to understanding and to contribute to that discussion because I was really enjoying just listening to where it was going. I mean, there is so much justification we can do for people who have had their own experiences, rightly so. But if you literally don't want to understand me, then at one point I will give up. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that's a. And, and I think, as you were saying, that 10% of energy, mm. you can't convert everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Closing. Uh, no, I know, I completely agree with what Samantha said. I think that, let me see what I've learned at least, is to be more understanding and forgiving of what people go through for them to get to this certain point, right? So I think what can bring us all together is understanding that, that we've all come from different backgrounds, We've all had different upbringings out there, but ultimately we're all human. We're all women in this case. We all have our own struggles and yet we must strive towards finding that commonality between each other and bonding over it and kind of understanding and listening. Ultimately, it's all about listening and being open. Mm. Yeah. I, like I said, I think you can solve anything sitting across <laughs> a person at a table and being yeah. open. I'm naive, but I really genuinely believe that that's <laughs> how you can just sort everything out. And I think that if we all come together and understand that there are connections between us and similarities and we're unstoppable, I think. Don't ever not be naive. I love, I love that naive. <laughs> Mackenda, last word from you because you've been really inspirational over the last 10 minutes. Your last word. My last word. Oh, thank you so much for this. It's like, 
It was a beautiful conversation. And what can I say? The question was what to say to women. Yeah, what to say to, to, to other women, to inspire them, to embrace the, and, and learn from your, your diversity. I think it's like learn about my diversity. It's like we are more similar than you can imagine. Like it's really not about the shape or the color or anything like this. Because if you remove all of the the skin, there is just bone and we are all the same really. So it's all about energy and love and what you bring on the table, like this table. <laughs> it's, it's just, that's all I have to say. It's like, for me, everything is all about energy. So wherever I go on earth, I will always connect with people with a smile and good energy. <laughs> Ladies, thank you so, so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. So much.